uh, we'll be resuming our time in the book of Genesis. We took a two-week break to kind of talk about the nature and mission of the church, what it is and everything like that. But before we jump back into Genesis, uh, I'd like to just draw your attention. There will be three slides here. Uh, First, I got these in the mail, and uh, it's pretty cool stuff. So uh, you see the top per capita giving church of the Maui County Baptist Association for Annie Armstrong and Lottie Moon. Uh, Yeah, you guys, that's you guys. Um, uh, And we also did like the the highest dollar amount or something like that. I don't know. We don't do it to get the, uh, the little piece of paper. Uh, but it is cool that you guys all join together, and if you guys know anything about me, if you're visiting with us, we are uh, very adamant and passionate about the, the command of Christ to make disciples of the nations. And so the way the Southern Baptists do missions is, is by giving to these different times of the year, and then that goes out and gets divided for the spread of the gospel among the nations. And so we've, uh, for the past two years gotten this. And so I just want to thank you guys. If you gave, if you have partnered with us in giving, uh, thank you. Praise God. That is a sign that God is working and that his people are generous. And so just, man, thank you. I love you guys, man. You guys are just, it is my, I I mean this, it is my joy uh, to pastor and shepherd you. Uh, You are my joy and crown, as Paul says of the Philippian church. Uh, And I really feel that way about you guys. So uh, just all praise, all glory. All honor to God. Uh, if, has anybody here been, let me just give you a scope of how this blesses people. Uh, has anybody here been blessed by the ministries of Kahului Baptist Church? Raise your hand if you have been blessed by the ministries of Kahului Baptist Church. All right, put your hands down. Simon says, put your, no. Um, if maybe you've gotten saved here, maybe your family member has gotten saved here, uh, maybe this has just been a formative time in your spiritual growth throughout your years here with us. Uh, I'll have you know that Kahului Baptist Church, this building and all the property was actually purchased in 1946 with funds from the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, And all of what you see now is a result of because people gave back then. And we just carry on that vision. And so if you've been blessed, then you have directly uh, benefited from these types of offerings. And we get to participate and do that with others. So, praise God. It's pretty neat. Um, Genesis 27. Genesis 27. Identity theft. Identity theft. When my, there's a saying, it says, uh, it's kind of a joke. When I was a child, my mother told me I could be anyone I wanted to be. As it turns out, the police call this identity theft. All right. Uh, This is not a sermon on the rampant crime of identity theft, even though it is important. uh, Every minute, 19 people in the world have their identity stolen. Uh, It may even be higher. That's a conservative estimate. Some of you have possibly suffered from having your identity stolen, and you might be like the people on the commercials, right, Uh, with the guy with the girl's voice, Hi, my name is John. Right? That type of uh, thing. This is actually, Genesis has been a, a really neat time walking through it with you. It's a book of beginnings, and we see a lot of firsts in the book of Genesis. Uh, we see the very first sin. We see the very first man and woman. We see the very first promise of a Savior. We've seen the very first use of the word love in Genesis 22. 
We've seen all sorts of firsts, and now we come to Genesis 27, and we have the first identity theft in the Bible. And uh, we, it, it is a very striking story. If you don't remember from our studies prior, or maybe you weren't here, these two characters, these two fellas, brothers, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, uh, some of you in here have maybe had twins or are, are a twin. And you see Isaac, the dad, in his old age and dim eyes, he can't really see, struggle. Okay, are these guys pulling a trick on me again? Are you really Jacob or are you Esau? Who, who's who? And, and twins sometimes, I'm sure, have been known to do this to their parents and other people. Uh, you get that by how many times Isaac is asking, are you sure? Uh, he's, he's kind of vetting out uh, this little charade here or trying his best and so it's a fascinating study one of the things we've been doing as we've walked through genesis not just examining what's here but jesus said in john 8 and on the road to emmaus that moses wrote of him uh, he's in a, a sharp disagreement with the religious leaders of his day and he he points and he says uh, moses wrote of me and then on the road to Emmaus with his two disciples, it says, from the law and the prophets, he spoke to them about, he taught them all things concerning himself, which means long before the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the books of the New Testament, that Jesus was written across the pages of the Old Testament from the words of Jesus himself, and that we would say all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to and foreshadowing the seed that was going to come from Genesis 3 who would finally reverse the curse and, and eliminate death and sin and pain. And so it's been really fascinating and I hope really enjoyable for you to maybe read the Old Testament with, with new eyes, so to speak, to see Jesus across the pages in new ways. And so we saw Jesus, uh, the promise of the Savior in the garden, and we saw Cain and Abel and how the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And we saw Noah, the righteous one, that they thought might be that seed but ended up not being that seed. And we saw all sorts of things, God's judgment and grace, all all intermingled all throughout. And just every story after story, Isaac, the only son of Abraham, so to speak, offered up on Mount Moriah, the very same mountain Jesus would be offered up on thousands of years later. And we're just progressing. And so today I will also do the same thing. And I pray that you're likewise encouraged Again And again, we're not trying to force anything on the text, only looking at what the New Testament and Jesus himself have said of the old. And so we hope this is profitable and that you are encouraged. So we're going to break this down in two points today. The first point is going to be the stolen blessing. The second point is going to be the forfeited blessing. So number one, the stolen blessing. I imagine if there was an Old Testament times, as in the next slide, it would be something like this. The day after in their small little village, right? Jacob steals the blessing. Uh, we saw in Genesis 25, if you remember a few weeks ago, uh, he already swindled his brother, his twin brother Esau, out of his birthright. Um, these are some kind of cultural things that just make very little sense to us today. So let me just break it down. This is an, 
This is maybe a little too simple, but it, it will help, all right? So a birthright is generally dealing with material blessings. It was to the firstborn, and only the firstborn got this birthright, and it had to do with his inheritance. He got a double portion of the inheritance. In that culture of the day, the firstborn son was just all it, spotlight on him, right? So I have my firstborn son would be Titus. It's not the firstborn daughter. She doesn't get the same thing. It's not the secondborn son. If the firstborn dies, it doesn't work quite like that. It's the firstborn son gets the birthright. And seeing as how they were twins, Esau came out first which means he is therefore the firstborn. But there's a little bit of a prophecy in Genesis 25 before they were born, and we spoke about that also. And in that prophecy, God tells Rebekah, the older will serve the younger. And so God had already gone against the cultural standard of the day and bypassed the firstborn just as he did with Isaac and Ishmael, just as he did with Cain and Abel, just as he did with the sons of Noah, he bypassed the firstborn, and the promise went instead to the younger son. Totally countercultural. We'll talk about how important that is another day. But nonetheless, we see Jacob and Esau struggling for these rights of the firstborn. So Genesis 25 was the birthright, had to do with material, and then the, today we'll handle the blessing, this plot to steal the blessing, if you will, and that generally is said to have to do with spiritual blessings, spiritual realities, one material, one spiritual, birthright material, blessing, spiritual realities. Uh, again, I said that's an oversimplification, but for us and for time's sake, it will do. So what's the scene? Isaac, we saw Isaac born, we saw Isaac grow up. We saw Isaac turn into the man and get married, you remember, to Rebecca. It was a beautiful wedding. And now Isaac's old and he's about to die. Or he thinks he's about to die. Why? Because his brother Ishmael died about this age. He's roughly about 137. So we kind of do this with our families. We look at, oh, shoot, my brother died or my father died at this age. I wonder if I'll live much further past this, and it can kind of worry us. And so we probably think he's doing the same thing. So he thinks he's about to die. His eyesight has gone. He's going blind. The things are dim. So he calls for his older son Esau. And if you remember, they played favorites. Isaac favored Esau, the man's man, the hunter, the, the weapons technician of the day. Rebekah favored Jacob. He dwelled in tents. He was a little more domesticated, not as much of a rough-and-tumble type of guy, and they had favorites. So Isaac calls Esau to prepare a meal for him. A meal that he loves, right? Like, you guys just ever have sometimes, like, that one meal, you're like, dude, I just... Just want some, sometimes I just want some taco salad. You know what I mean? Like, you just want some taco salad, man. That's just, I love some taco salad. And you guys make good taco salad. So uh, sometimes, and he just had this meal that Esau made that he just loves. And so he asked him to go hunt and bring it to him so that he may bless him before he dies with the firstborn blessing. It's important to note, we don't have time to, to open this entirely, but Isaac was actually being disobedient at this point to the promises of God. Isaac had already been told in Rebekah years before that the older would serve the younger, and yet Isaac, maybe because of his favoritism, 
Maybe because of his age, maybe he forgot, we could say. For whatever reason, he is being disobedient to the expressed will and intention of God. And he tries to bless Esau. Rebecca, mom, favoring Jacob, is listening in. It reminds us of Sarah listening to Abraham and his visit with the three visitors. She's listening in and she hears what Jacob, or sorry, what Esau and Isaac plan to do. And she remembers that very promise that, wait, no, this isn't right. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be Jacob who gets blessed. And so she calls Jacob and devises this elaborate plot to steal the blessing. You remember Abraham, who so trusted in God, who had grown to the point of his faith that when he is told to offer up his son, his only son Isaac, and to burn him to ashes, that he had so much trust and faith that he just he figured, I guess God's going to raise him from the dead because he said this is who the promise is going to come through. And so he, he does it against logic. And here, unlike Abraham, is Rebecca. She also knew God's promise, and instead of trusting him when things looked like it wasn't going to go her way, she decided to take God's promises into her own hand just to make things work. And let's just say this goes badly for Everyone. This always goes badly for everyone. Why? Because merely human plans, mark this, brothers and sisters, human plans cannot, cannot bring about divine promises without great consequence. Our plans and our schemes cannot bring about the divine promises of God without great consequence. One pastor said, her faith was sincere, but her plans were wicked. And so they concoct this plan. It, inv it involves Jacob dressing up, pretending to be Esau in order to steal the blessing. You can kind of see it. Isaac's blind. Jacob has smooth skin. But Esau, his older brother, is just a, a hairy man. Right? He's a hairy dude, right? Probably part ape or something. No, I'm just kidding, right? He's, he's just hairy. He's just hairy dude. And notice Jacob's objection to the plan. Does he object on the grounds that, Mom, this is ethically wrong? How, how dare you suggest this, Mother? That's not his objection. What's his objection based on? He's going to get caught. <laughs> whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is a terrible plan. We're going to get caught because my brother Esau is a hairy man. I'm a smooth man. Some have said that Jacob is probably the most unheroic hero in the Bible. The most unheroic hero in the Bible. He scarcely ever does anything admirable. He even blasphemously invokes God's name when questioned by his father. How did you do it so quickly? And Jacob replies, well, the Lord, your God, was with me. He blessed me. Look how he blasphemous me, it invoked the very name and person of God. He covered his lies with religiosity, if you will. It's outrageous how God's people sometimes use his name to support their wicked actions. But it's also outrageous how God uses those very people and blesses them, just as we were singing not long ago. 
Now, a few things, you're like, okay, I get this, but this whole passage seems very strange to us, does it not? Like this idea of blessing, uh, the strangeness, it kind of is familiar because we all have family problems, but at the same time, it's very strange because this idea, this concept of blessing in our English language is just doesn't connect the same. One of the reasons is because our English word for blessing is too weak. It's empty. It's changed its use over time. And it's nowhere near strong enough to convey the biblical concept of blessing. For example, we say when somebody sneezes, God bless you. And somebody like me who sneezes a lot, I'm like ultra blessed, man. Like you guys are just like, bless you, bless you. Bless you. Bless you. The people who are around me a lot just know, wait, don't say it. Wait till he's done. One, two, three. Okay, bless you, right? When a person sneezes, we say, God bless you. Or when we say goodbye, we might say, God bless. Or in a text message, somebody texted me this, God bless, take care. Or down south, if you're from the south, maybe you'll say, Bless your heart. <laughs> bless your little heart. We have people bless our houses, bless our food, all sorts of this idea of blessing. And we have little concepts. So when we have this, this type of scheme of trying to steal a blessing and how much pain and, and destruction it causes, if you read the rest of the narrative, you'll find when Isaac and when Esau discover the plans, it says that Isaac shook violently and that Esau wept a great weeping and cried and, and he cried out to his father, bless me even also, father, bless me. He pleaded with his father for his blessing and in essence, Isaac says, I can't give it to you. I've already given it to your brother, and he shall be blessed. So this doesn't make a ton of sense to us. It's, for us, we kind of generally mean like a, I hope you feel better, I hope you uh, wish well, a well greeting type of thing, uh, uh, be good, may God be with you uh, types of things. But this is nowhere near the idea of the biblical concept. So let me try and give it to you. It's, it's still strange to us. It's much more than a good word, but it's not less. It's extremely important. Uh, Timothy Keller defined it like this. It's a discerning who you are and choosing powerful words and gestures to affirm who you are and empower you to be what you will ultimately become. Discerning who somebody is and choosing powerful words and gestures to empower and affirm who you are and who you will become by the grace of God. Now you say, whoa, 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 what's going on? Let's just say the ancient culture, the ancient world realized what we are just now beginning to recapture. They realized the truth that words are important. They are. Words are important. And so our nursery rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. It's false. <laughs> we all know this to be patently false. Yes, your words won't, I can't say, 
laceration, broken arm, right? And yeah, you won't, you're right. In that regard, it's, it's not painful. Instead, it's much more painful because words can shape the very core of who you are. The content of words can even cause physical effects depending on the message. Some people have, I've seen people pass out. I'm sorry, your father's dead. They pass out, cry. I've seen people have heart attacks in response to words that were spoken. Why is this? Because words pass through the ear and into the very heart of who we are, especially, especially when those words are spoken by someone who is an authority in our lives. The words spoken to you or not spoken to you have literally shaped who you are and how you interpret the world. From the time you're a little child, the time you're a little boy or girl, the words spoken to you by your parents, by those who know you, by those who you are learning from, have literally shaped how you view the world or how you don't view the world. I'm not trying to get psychologized on us here, all right? This, isn't, this is a biblical concept. Our God is a God who speaks. And in the garden, he spoke, and he defines our reality for us. And when we don't have that anchor point of God in our lives, then we are tossed to and fro with every damaging wind of doctrine. We all know that words have a profound impact on us. Who in here has lost a parent? Your mom, dad have died. How many of you remember the last words spoken to you by your parents? You don't have to raise your hand. You can. Many of us, I would think, I haven't lost one yet, but I have sensed in my brief life, it's a powerful thing. The final things, depending on the content of those words, they may, may be a source of great joy or they may be a source of great pain. And indeed, some of the most painful words ever spoken to us that go with us forever are those spoken to us by our parents. Right? Our parents. These can be some of the things that go with us for a lifetime and their lasting impact, even of our, those of us who have lost parents. It could have been 10, 15, 20 years ago that you lost a parent, but its lasting impact on you today can still be felt. Add to this the fact that the blessing back then was a legally binding type of last will. So now it's not just words or expressions of who you are, but it is a legally binding last will. It can't be reversed. Apparently it could be stolen or transferred. And now Jacob, as the second-born son, probably grew up his whole life seeing Esau, the firstborn, favored by his father. You guys, you guys don't have to answer this out loud, right? But have you ever, those who have brothers and sisters, felt this favoritism from your parents? Yeah, we felt this. Jacob probably grew up his whole life playing second fiddle, struggling with this idea of a blessing likely for his whole life. Why? Because this is a major theme in his life. When you see him a few chapters later, 
Right before his name is changed from Jacob to Israel, he's wrestling with a divine visitor. And he says, let me go. And Jacob's response, you remember, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. Had a profound impact on Jacob. Likely his whole life. Friends, we all want this, don't we? We all have this built-in desire for this type of blessing. You were made for this type of blessing. You were made rooted in your identity as men and women in the image of God, created to be in relationship to God and have his affirmation and blessing and walk in fellowship with him. We were made for this. Sadly, for Jacob, in order to get this firstborn blessing, he couldn't be himself. He had to come in the name of another. He couldn't. He couldn't get the firstborn blessing. He was the secondborn. He had to come in the name of another. And we do the same thing, don't we? We hide our flaws, our mistakes, our skeletons. We put on the front of Mr. and Miss put together, hoping, hoping, maybe even dressing up and pretending, hoping that others will bless us, will be accepted, affirmed. And maybe we do this with our parents. I just want my, my parents' approval. Or we do this with our children. I just want my, my children to be, to be proud of me and to know who I am. And, and so I hide with this. And we do this at church. And so I dress up and put on this persona, hoping to be accepted. There's a problem with this. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. When we hide our sin and our brokenness, who we are, when we hide that and we come as somebody else, all the compliments in the world don't matter. Why? Because somebody's blessing or complimenting or encouraging a lie. We know deep down that's not who I am. This isn't who I am. So we leave empty, struggling, discouraged. It's exactly how Jacob probably felt. Can you imagine? He finally gets in. His, he, his father's blind, so he can't see. And so he thinks he's Esau. And when he finally smells him, he goes, smell that I love, my son. Finally, Jacob, second-born Jacob, seeing the look on his face that he always wanted from his dad hearing the words that he always wanted from his dad. But those words weren't designed for him. They were for Esau. So did it work? Yeah, Jacob got the blessing. But that's about it. The love affirmation was false. It was a sham. It wasn't who he was. And to speed things up, this ends badly, shatters the family. I said, Isaac shakes violently. Esau weeps. He comforts himself with thoughts and plans of how to murder Jacob, his brother, for this. Jacob ends up leaving penniless and flees to Rebekah's family. And Rebekah, in the meantime, loses both her husband and her son that she loves so much, likely never to see him again. It ends badly. So this isn't just a lessons for families, is it, right? There's a lot of lessons for families, lots of lessons here for families, but it's not just a lesson for families. It never is. 
it begs a deeper question. How do we get the blessing that we also desire and that shapes us so deeply? Some of you in here are like, well, I'm long out of my parents' house. I'm already kind of messed up. Right? I'm already jacked up. I never got that. But, but, I mean, it's good that I can know how a family should look, right? How do, how do we benefit? How do we become partakers of that blessing? What about our children? How about them? How can we receive this blessing of the firstborn, so to speak? I would say in a similar manner as Jacob. And this leads to our second point. We have to come in the name of another. Point two, the blessing forfeited. The blessing forfeited. Jesus, for all eternity, right? Now this is where we, where's Jesus in this story? This is like my favorite part. I just love connecting dots across testament. For all eternity, Jesus has possessed and enjoyed the firstborn status, preeminence, position of Son of God. The only begotten Son of God for all eternity, such that, that God himself proclaimed at his baptism, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well Please. So it's the status that Jesus had for all of eternity. It's the feeling that we all get when we look at our children as babies and you just love them so much it hurts. Like you just, it just hurts. It literally hurts in a good way that you just, you're going to explode, bursting with pleasure and joy with this child. And this is type of the love the Father has for the Son, Jesus. He had the firstborn blessing entitled from all of eternity, but he forfeited that firstborn blessing. He gave it up, and he died on a cross. Every other time, you realize every time Jesus addresses God, it says, Father. But his last statement on the cross is not his Father, it says the, the official title, God. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus forfeited his right and his possession of the firstborn Son of God, and, and he died on a cross in our place. Jesus dressed up like us. Jesus dressed up like us, and he took the curse in our place that we might be clothed with his clothing, with the very righteousness of Christ and receive the divine blessing from the only Father that matters, ultimately. Jesus really did what Rebecca said she would do. Remember, Jacob says, it's not going to work. What if, what if I get caught? And Rebecca says, don't worry, my son. Let your curse be on me. Jesus really did what Rebecca said she would do. Jesus actually took the curse on himself so that we can be and have the firstborn blessing. Brothers and sisters, the love and blessing that you experience from God the Father, 
when you stand in the works and righteousness of Christ, are the most shaping words that you could hear. The most identity-altering words that could pass through our ears, they go down into our soul and they actually give life when you have the blessing of God the Father. And the only way, the only way to receive this blessing from God is to come in the name of another. It's like Jacob in our own standing, our own status. We can't get it. We have to come in the name of another. And the only name, the only name we can come in is the name of the firstborn Son of God, Jesus. When you are accepted by Christ, you don't have to hide who you are anymore. We don't have to hide those mistakes, those sin, the, that stuff that we don't want people to see because we no longer come in our own name. We come in the name of Jesus. Hebrews 12:23 actually calls us the assembly of the firstborn. Catch that? The assembly, the same word, church, ecclesia, the church of the firstborn. How do you have a church of firstborns? How? Because all of us come in the name of Jesus, the firstborn. Colossians 1 puts it this way. He is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the firstborn from the dead. That in him, every, all things, that in him, he might have the preeminence. Jesus. We come in the name of Jesus, and we are the assembly of the firstborn. And he adopts us as brothers and sisters, and it says he's not ashamed to call us brothers in the congregation. And so John 1 but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Will you come to him this morning? If you're, you never have, maybe this, you're like, dude, you've been talking to me this whole time, man. This is just like, have you been coming in your own name? Trying to be please God? covering who you really are, hoping to get the blessing like Jacob. Dear friend, all it takes is turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus, receiving him by faith, and he will give you the right to become children of God, and you will find yourself blessed in the Lord. Amen. See what manner of love is this, that we should be called children of God. For those of us who have turned to him by faith, brothers and sisters, this is a special morning. This is a special morning because before me is what we call the Lord's table. And this is where we remember and we taste the goodness of God, of what it means to be blessed by God. 
Paul even calls this in 1 Corinthians 10 the cup of blessing that we bless. And now when you have that full richness and background, doesn't it give it much more intense of a meaning, a much more powerful, not just sign, but as we sing, I eat the bread and drink the wine, but oh, my soul wants more than sign. I want the substance. I want Jesus. We get to partake in the table of the Lord as sons and daughters. May the Lord give us eyes to see and and hearts to realize the life-changing magnitude of what it means to be blessed by God, or as Ephesians 1 says, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed of God in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. Lord, thank you that we are not children left without a father, but you have communicated clearly your love for your children blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Father, may we stop trying to come in our own name. May we come in the name of Christ and rest in Christ and what you have done for us on behalf of Jesus. And may we give you all praise and honor and glory. I pray that you would bless our time now, that you would truly bless it. Father, that we would leave here with a sense that in Christ, we are sons and daughters, that you are pleased with us. And may we live in light of that reality-shaping truth. Lord, I lift up any in here who may not know you. May you draw them to Christ this morning maybe for the first time, that they would stop putting on a front, but that they would come and taste and see that you are good. Father, I lift up our nation and the sin that is abortion that will be decided upon by our governments, Lord willing, tomorrow. I pray that your will would guide and direct them, that we would put an end to the murder of innocent lives, Lord, I know there are some in here who have had abortions, and I pray that your grace and mercy would rest on them in Christ, that they would know that they are forgiven in Christ, and that we would seek together to put an end to this wickedness as, our na- as a nation. Forgive us as a church. For times we are silent when we should be speaking. Give us boldness to speak for those who are going to death to seek to end their oppression. Lord, I ask that you would do this in Maui. I ask that you would do this in our nation. Would you do this for your name and your glory? Amen.